is Pentecost. And I'm in the dark. There you go. All right, today is Pentecost. You know what Pentecost is, right? It's the birth of the church. So today is the church's birthday. How come we didn't have any cake? Who's in charge of that? We needed cake today. Today is the birth of the church. So I want to let you in on a little secret, something that I have a bad habit of. Eating too much cake. No. What are you saying, Eric? Man, holy cow. No, I have this bad habit of getting out in front of God sometimes. Typically, it happens when I want God to do something for me, and He's not cooperating with what I want. (laughs) And so I find myself getting out in front of the Lord. Typically, it's, Lord, I need you to fix this relationship, right? I need you to go to this person and convince them they're wrong. (laughs) I need you to show them the light. I need you to help them understand what I need and what I'm saying, right? I need you to fix this relationship. Lord, I need you to fix this financial situation in my life. It's a struggle, You know, I'm trying to be faithful, I'm trying to help out, but Lord, my washer and dryer broke down this week. And it always happens the minute you're generous, right? You decide to be generous one week out of our life, and uh, that's a joke. Um, We decide to be generous, and it, it never fails. Something breaks down, and it's hard. God, I need you to fix my health, or fix my mom's health, or my dad's health, or heal my son or my daughter. And it's typically like that. So we, we need something from God, right? Our kids. Ooh, boy. Do we pray to God about our kids. God, I really want you to help my child obey a little better. And so we're often asking God, and even our church. I mean, I ask God things all the time for you and for our church and for our influence in our community and our influence in Steuben County and the staff. We pray about it. I pray about it. We ask God, God, do this. Do this in the life of the people. Do this in in so-and-so. They're struggling with this. I know they're suffering. I know there's pain. And we do this. And so we ask God these things. Now, here's the thing. I get myself in front of God when I need something from God, but it doesn't seem that God's doing anything about it. If you know my personality, be quiet, Dad. If you know my personality, I don't like waiting. I am a, there's a problem, grab the horns of the bull and let's go, right? We can solve this now. I have learned that God's agenda is not always matching up to my agenda in life. Even the good stuff. Like, who wouldn't think God would heal somebody? Or who wouldn't think that God wouldn't help me financially? Or God wouldn't fix this problem? Or I'm going to go to God with this issue? And who wouldn't think that God would do that, right? But when He doesn't. So instead of waiting patiently for God, I wait impatiently. And I know it sounds like an oxymoron, right? But think about this. Do you do this? I do this. I don't want you to think or know that I don't trust God in this situation. So I'm going to appear that I'm waiting on him for this. 
But in the meantime, I'm back here secretly being impatient and taking things into my own hands. And always making a mess of things. Because I won't wait patiently for the Lord. Instead, I'm waiting impatiently. Sometimes God does answer us. (laughs) This is the thing that gets me about God. I'll go to God and say, God, I need you to do something. I need to see you do this in my life, in my kids' life, in my church, in my community, in the world. God, why Why can't you just do this? And so we'll ask God to do this. Now get this. Inevitably, when my agenda isn't lining up with God's agenda, He comes back to me and says, Okay, I need you to do something for me. That's not the agenda, Lord. I'm coming to you because you're more powerful, you're bigger, you're greater. You can do this. Many times in my life I've gone to God and said, God, I need you to give me something. I need more. (laughs) I'm struggling here. I need you to give me something. Whether it's financial or whatever it is. I asked the Lord for patience one time, and he gave me three daughters. And you got four. And you're a patient man. No, he says I'm not. I need you to give me something, God. You know what God does to me? He comes back and he says, okay, you want more, give more. When I ask God to give me something, He comes back to me and says, yeah, but I want you to give more. God, I need you to change something. I need this situation to change. I need this relationship to change. I need my marriage to change. I need my community to change. Will you change this? And we, in faith, trust that God will just do it. And God always comes back and He says, okay, then I need you to change. Because when you change, your situation might change. I hate it when he does that. Because we want him to do, we want him to give, and we want him to change. And the whole time, the Spirit's trying to do and give and change in us. (laughs) And so I wait impatiently for the Lord. I mean, we all have something we need God to do, right? We all have something we need God to give or to change. Finish this sentence. I wish God would blank. Finish it. Put the word in there. Uh, If you need more lines, use the back page, right? And write a paragraph. I wish God would blank fill in the blank. We all have small things and really big things that we need from God. We need God to end racism, right? We need God to end hate and injustice and poverty and wars, human trafficking. We need God to save my lost son or daughter. We need God to touch our sickness or my my loved one's cancer. We need God to do these things. I wish God would and fill in the blank. And it becomes so easy to grow impatient with God when we don't see God moving like we think He should. 
It's harder to be patient when it's us who are sick and dying and in need and oppressed and broken and suffering. How do you wait patiently when your world is on fire? I think this is why Paul wrote Romans chapter 8. For you see, the Romans were young Christians. Paul had gone to Rome and Peter and and the gospel had spread all the way up to Rome and here there was a small group of Christians in Rome and Paul wrote them this incredible letter. And for the first seven chapters of Romans, Paul just lays out all these blessings. All these wonderful things that God has done through Christ for us. For the first seven chapters of Romans, Paul shows them all these great benefits of knowing God in Christ. Jesus, he says, loved you when you didn't love Him. Jesus chose you when you didn't choose Him. God died for you, was raised for you, forgave you, justified you. God adopted you as children. Now, and I would think the Romans, I think this, and the Romans would think, and you'd probably think this too. Don't you think that children of God should maybe be a little better off than those who aren't? Makes sense to me. But they weren't. I mean, it seems to me and to them that children of God should be better off. It seems to me and to them that God should do more Give more. Help more. Change more of their circumstances. And he wasn't. This young group of Christians, they were under pressure. They were being persecuted. They were being tortured and killed. This is historically around the time of Nero. And some of the worst Roman emperors that came down hard on Christians. It seems to me that a child of God should be better off than those in the world that aren't. The wicked prosper, and the psalmist said it in Psalm 73. He he asked, why do the wicked prosper? We need God to do something to change something, to improve the situation, right? Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 18 with me. Paul says then to them in this context that they are suffering. He says, I consider that your, our suffering, our present suffering, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So here they are suffering, here they are struggling, here they're being told that they are children of God, but the children of God are worse off than the children of the devil, if you will. And they can't make sense of it. They can't make sense of how and why God is not doing something for them. And Paul comes along and he says, look, come on in here. I know it's hard. I know there's trouble I know you're suffering. I know you think God ought to just snap his fingers and everything's going to be okay. But look, 
I want you to know this. Whatever you're suffering in the present, whatever you're going through now, I want you to understand this. It has nothing to compare to what is going to be revealed in us. I want you to have hope. Next verse. The creation waits. Ooh, there's that waiting that we're so impatiently waiting on, right? The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God. Oh, hey, that's us. To be revealed. Paul says, look, I know you're suffering. I know you're waiting. I know you want God to do something. But I want you to know this. So is creation. Creation is waiting for everything to be made right. And this expectation for the children of God to be revealed, it's all going to be laid out. And all of you who are born in Christ and in Christ, it's going to be revealed someday. And the hope that we have in that. Next verse. For the creation was subjected to frustration. You ever feel frustrated? I'm talking about frustration. Frustration with what you have and what you think God ought to do. And what you have and what you've prayed for and it hasn't happened. He says, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Listen, in hope, next verse, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage of decay. Everything in this world, including you, is decaying. And there's not a thing you can do to stop it. Things will happen. Trouble will come. Suffering is coming to all of us. And if you go through life thinking that simply because you're a child of God that you will be exempt from suffering, Paul is wanting them to know this. Look, all of creation suffers and waits so that it might be liberated Well, why not now? Because it's not God's time. (laughs) God's agenda doesn't always line up with my agenda. And it requires faith and hope. And this hope and this liberation that is coming. And it is brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Did you hear that? The glory. You are the glory of God. You. Say, I don't feel it. I don't feel like God loves me because He's not answering me. Yes, He has. He's given you Jesus. I, I don't feel like a child of God because it seems like, well, I'm like the stepchild that nobody wants. Because God's not answering me. God's not moving for me. God's not I don't see God at work in anything. Next verse. We know. That the whole creation has been groaning. (laughs) As in the pains of childbirth. Now, why would Paul say that? It's a groan that is not a desperate, hopeless groan. 
but it's a groan as in a mother in the pains of childbirth knowing that in a little short while the pain will go and the joy of the child will come. Creation waits for this to happen. Creation waits for God to make everything right, to set everything as it should be. It waits as though a mother in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. In other words, because Jesus hasn't come back, we're still groaning. Creation is still waiting and hoping for God, His ultimate and final say. Next verse. Not only so, creation does it, but we ourselves, Paul says. I know you're suffering. I know things are tough. I know you want God to move, and it doesn't seem like God's moving, but you are a child of God. Look, but we ourselves, and here it is, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Next verse. For in this hope, We were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. I mean, who hopes for what they already have? If God gave you everything you wanted, then what would you hope for? If you had it all, then what would you hope for? Next verse. But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it, say it, patiently. Not impatiently, but patiently. 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is where I want to get to this morning. This is Pentecost. And this is all about the day the Spirit entered all of us who believe in Jesus. It's the day that the Spirit came and entered into those disciples and forever set the course of the church and the people of God until the coming of Jesus again. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. It should not be a groan of the flesh. What I mean by that, it should not be a groan of what you simply want out of life, but our life should be representative of the Holy Spirit groaning what God wants, hoping for what God wants and what God sees and what God needs to happen in the world through us. The Spirit intercedes for us. Next verse. And he who searches our hearts. Why would he search our hearts? To know our motives? To see what we really want? To see where his agenda doesn't match my agenda? He searches our hearts knowing the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Next verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good. Or is it 
in all things God works for the good, right? For the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Waiting patiently is about having God's Spirit in us, helping us in our times of weakness, helping us in our times of suffering, helping us in our times when God doesn't seem to be opening up the heavens to give me what I want. Waiting patiently is about having God's Spirit in us, interceding for us. It is God's Spirit in us that searches our hearts, our motives, our desires, our true wants and needs in life. And He helps us live out God's will. It's the Spirit. We want God working out there. We want God going in our name. We want God to go and make this right, to fix this problem, to do this, to, to give this, to change this situation. We want God to work out there. And when we get impatient is when God wants to work in here. And we just want Him to work out there. Can't you just go fix this? Well, let's fix your heart first. We want the Spirit to do for us. But He wants to do through us. This is often the missed meaning of Pentecost. I think sometimes the church, we think that Pentecost is simply for us. That we are to receive the Spirit for all these blessings. And He's going to, you know, who doesn't want the Spirit of God living in them, right? We've even seen that in the Scriptures. Uh, the disciples had this guy who wanted to pay them, Paul, to pay him so that he might receive the Holy Spirit. I want what you have. How much does it cost? I mean, who doesn't want that? But the Spirit doesn't come to enter into us simply so that it's for us. God wants to do something different. Look at Acts chapter 2. He says this. Now, I want you to know, in Acts chapter 1, I think it's verse... Eight, Jesus says, I command you, go to Jerusalem and wait. <laughs> wait. Be patient. He's coming. And he came. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and rested, came to rest on each of them. Listen, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now watch. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Tongues, languages. You say, well, was it a language that a heaven? I don't believe so. Because in the next verses, he says, Many people were all over Jerusalem who spoke different languages, and they were amazed at how they could hear the Word of God in their own language. You say, well, why is that important? Because the Spirit of God came and filled them, and the first thing He did was not make everything okay for them. The first thing He did was He used them. 
He worked through them that others might find what they found in Jesus. He gave them supernatural ability, a gift, so that they could use that gift to bring people to Jesus. Hmm. You see that? God wasted no time. Immediately, those who were filled with the Spirit became witnesses and began to do and to say many things. Amazing things. Perhaps we don't see God working around us because we're so full of ourselves that there's little room for God to fill us. Our lives have become so full of time commitments and habits and playthings and things we love and the goals of life that we've left little margin. Forget about margin. The filling of the Holy Spirit requires an empty vessel. But we filled our lives with so many things. We wonder why God is not moving. We wonder why we don't see the power of God around us. Maybe it's because the power of God doesn't work, want to work around you. He wants to work in you and through you. And we're not being filled with His Spirit because there's no room in our lives for Him. Pastor Brett and I were talking about this message and he had a great illustration. He goes, you know, it's kind of like a moving into a new house. I said, I don't know. I haven't moved into a new house in 10 years. What do you mean? And he's like, it's like when you move into the house, you're always amazed because you typically move up, right? You move from a smaller house to a bigger house, unless you're getting older and then you start to, your kids are gone and now you move from a little house. But he meant from a smaller house to a bigger house. And you're amazed at how much room there is in this house. I mean, you got room. You could have four spare bedrooms. Man, you could, you got room to store stuff and all that. And about two years later, you look around your house and you're amazed at how much junk you've collected. You can't even put it in the back of a pickup. You've got to rent a dumpster to clean your house out. Because you've just accumulated and accumulated and you never cleansed your house. <laughs> Our lives are like that. We just start accumulating the worldly things into our hearts and our lives. And our hearts become divided. God wants, to, he wants us to empty ourselves so that He can fill us and not be so divided so that our hearts will be single-mindedly on Him and what He wants. When the Spirit of God fills you, like on the day of Pentecost, He will gift you and empower you to do amazing things, not for yourself, but for someone who needs God to move in their life. I think sometimes we wait on God to do and to fix and to give and to change when what He really wants to do is get in you and use you to do it. Our lives just have little room for what God wants. We don't see God working because we're too busy, too occupied. We get impatient with God when our hearts are divided. 
when we leave little room or no room for what God wants. Those Roman Christians couldn't see beyond their suffering. And Paul wanted them to know, hey, look, God has put in you a deposit, His Spirit. And that Spirit will do through you and in you what He needs to do so you can have hope in whatever it is you're going through. And whatever it is you're looking at in your circumstances, look, I want you to know this. They do not compare to the glory of what God is going to do through and in His children. If we'll get serious with God and let some things go. Empty ourselves. This is the beauty of what Paul was getting at, this kind of twofold transformational process. God initiates the filling. It's our response that matters. He wants to fill everybody. It's our response to Him that matters. Worship team's going to come and they're going to close us down. I want you to do something for me this morning as we worship and sing this song. Sing it as a prayer. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. Come and do what it is that you want to do. You want to see the power of God work in your families, in your communities, in your homes, in your church? You want to see the power of God unleashed on the world? Let it begin in you. Let it begin in you. Let Him fill you so that you can be His witnesses. That's why Pentecost happened. That's why Pentecost continues to happen. God still wants to bless us with His Spirit and fill us. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, as we sing this song, may our hearts be open and clear. If there's anything, Lord, that we need to empty ourselves of this morning, we beg for forgiveness. We turn it over to you. We give you the keys to all the rooms of our house this morning. Fill us in this place that we might go and be used by you. In Jesus' name. One.